Welcome to the Scaling Freelance Podcast, where successful freelancers, consultants, and solopreneurs tell us exactly how they started working for themselves and started to live a life on their own terms. Each episode features real stories packed with real salary numbers, business tactics, and lifestyle hacks that will inspire you to get serious about the business side of freelancing. So my best month was May 2018. I probably brought in like close to $20,000. $15,000, usually around 10K a month. I think I did like $20,000 worth of photography gigs, which was extraordinary. Come hang out with me and other growth-minded freelancers at scalingfreelance.com. I'm your host, Sean Crow, and here's today's episode. Hey, everybody. Our guest today is Davish Kanal. Davish runs an e-commerce conversion rate optimization agency called Growth Rock. Uh, he's a scientist by training with an engineering degree from uh, the University of Berkeley. So I'm really interested in how you went from engineer to e-commerce optimization specialist. So that'll be an interesting transition story. Um, Davis, are you ready to talk about scaling freelance here? I'm ready. Awesome. I was looking at your site and I saw that um, that you worked with Kettle and Fire. And I just listened to the Indie Hackers podcast with Justin Mayer, uh, who's the founder of Kettle and Fire. Uh, are you pretty close with him or, or how did you guys get connected? Um, we, I know him through a Slack community of marketers and my co-founder for another agency, which I should mention, which you, uh, also knows him <laughs> from the past. So I actually run two agencies. One is Growth Rock for e-commerce A-B testing and conversion optimization that you mentioned. The other is Grow and Convert, which is a content marketing agency that I'm a co-founder of with Benji Hyam. Um, And Benji knew Justin from a long time ago. And so they were in sort of mutual kind of Slack communities and, and, and marketing kind of circles. Cool. So you have you have two businesses, um, right. and can can you kind of give us the basics there of each one, like maybe how the team's set up and um, what each one does? Yeah, yeah. So Growth Rock, um, the one you mentioned first, is an e-commerce conversion optimization agency. What that means is we help e-commerce websites, brands that have e-commerce stores, increase the conversion rate defined as the percentage of their visitors that buy. We use a variety of tactics, but primarily the key kind of action you take at the end to do that is A-B testing. So we're constantly running, designing, running, interpreting, strategizing A-B tests that are running on our e-commerce clients' websites with the goal of just increasing the percentage of people that buy. Um, So we're testing layouts, et cetera. Um, The team there, so both agencies are fully remote. The team there is pretty compact. So right now there's um, a full-time employee who's the main conversion strategist. And then we use a development agency combined that sort of specializes in A-B test development. And then um, a couple of sort of freelance developers in addition, freelance QA and freelance designer uh, sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Then the other company is a content marketing agency, Grow and Convert. Uh, bigger team sort of bigger business in general, but started later. Um, and content marketing, we we basically grow traffic to via sort of content, written content, the blog, um, for our clients there. And those clients span a much wider range. So we're not vertically niched in that one. Um, and that one sort of it's 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 what we do that kind of niches us down. But basically, yeah, it's content marketing, growing traffic through the blog through a variety of for a variety of different clients. And there we have Again, fully remote. My co-founder is in San Diego. I'm in San Jose, California. And we have 
um, writers and content strategists from throughout the U.S. and a couple in the U.K. as well. Okay, that's that's amazing. Um, you you have a lot on your plate here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or yeah, I mean, every time I'm in these conversations, people are like, "How in the world?" <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds glamorous, but of course, um, the real life of it is that there's a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but over time, we've sort of implemented processes and figured out kind of hiring and delegation. And so it's a lot more, um, it's a lot lower stress, let's say now than it was if we had talked a year ago. Yeah, definitely. So why don't you take us back then to the beginning? Um, I think you said growth rock came first. Um, so take us back to when you first started that, what were you doing at the time and, uh, and why did you start it? Yeah. So that, um, started, that's a journey. I'll try to go as fast as possible. But I was completing my PhD in material science and engineering. So kind of like an applied physics discipline. So completely unrelated with anything marketing, anything online, or frankly, anything business. And, um, but I always had an inkling for it. So I was sort of experimenting with other things, taking some business classes. And then at some point, I read some stuff online um, about starting your own business. And I decided to put a Craigslist ad about something that I could do, which I figured was, and I saw on this sheet um, of ideas, presentation design. So um, I was like, yeah, I, I'm like really good at sort of design stuff and, and presentation, so I can do this. And I got a client. Um, I think I charged him $100 to like redesign a few slides for his startup pitch deck. And that just kind of continued on the side. It became this thing. And so actually the legal entity is Davish Design LLC, which still is a legal entity under that Growth Rock is under. And I just continued that for a while. I got a job after my PhD that was not sort of in this. And at some point, um, that job was with a startup and startups start failing. And so that startup was failing. And I, with one of the clients for there, had a real estate online real estate app. I said, you know what, what let's become, let's, let me be a co-founder. And that worked out. And tried that for a while. And that got me into sort of the web stuff. And there, when that startup also started failing, so multiple mm. sort of businesses and different attempts, uh, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I just took on some clients and it moved from presentation design to web design. So then, and then I'm, I'm like fast forwarding through years of stuff, right? And then from web design, um, I was in a coaching program and my yeah, coach yeah. said, hey, have you heard about this thing called A-B testing? It's really interesting because it would combine your science side because you're running experiments Instead of just doing a design and being like, look, it looks pretty, you would sort of make a hypothesis of we think this UX variation could increase conversion rate because of these and that reason. And then you actually test the hypothesis and you interpret the statistics of how many people did what in the two variations in A and B. And so hmm. I started that. I did some cold pitches um, and I landed a couple of clients. One of my first clients was um, a, a now famous SEO site, Backlinko, run by Brian Dean. Yeah. And and I remember that conversation with Brian. I was like, the first conversation I said, he said, first of all, great email, like cold email. And uh, and I said, thanks. We talked and I said, so this is, I can do this, that, and the other, and I'm going to charge $200. And he was like, great. Can I buy two? And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I was just so excited that I was like, can I get a client for A-B testing? And he's like, well, if I pay you $400... Can you like just do double the work or double the tests or whatever? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but let's do it. <laughs> right, and so it was an early sign of of you know I guess way undercharging now, of course, in hindsight. But 
at that yeah. time, we're just trying to get, learn as we go. And so my first A-B test that I fully ran was paid, was for him. So um, that definitely a, a learn learn as you go philosophy in my life. Yeah, what a, what a great first client too. How did you, what made you cold email him? How did you find his name? And, and so my, my, my coach back then was Brian Harris of Video Fruit, who runs uh, now it's called Growth Tools, but previously called uh, Video Fruit. And I was one of his first coaching clients ever. Now they have like a full-on massive coaching program. Hmm. Um, uh, like, I don't know, like it, it, it costs a lot or whatever. But I was one of his first. I was paying him $100 a month. And I was like, this guy is so smart. He, like this is such a steal. So it just was luck that I ran into a blog post and I noticed that. And, uh, and we ended up working with him for like 18 months or something um, hmm. until he became big enough to where he was increasing the price a lot. And we just had a conversation and he was like, Look, I've taught you everything I can teach you about this. <laughs> but he he knew Brian or he mentioned it and that was on the list. And so I I knew nothing about Backlinko or Brian back then. Um, and so I just reached out. Yeah. And luckily he was not that famous back then. Yeah, yeah. So did you ever go back to getting a full-time job or how did you sustain yourself no. during this beginning period? No. Ever since I left that first full-time job to do my own uh, web startup that I said with a client, I have never mm-hmm. sort of held a W-2 job after that. Um, so well, yeah, I mean, how did I sustain myself at the beginning? For sure, at the beginning, when I'm just taking random projects, trying A/B testing for a couple hundred dollars um, a month with clients like that. Um, one, it's just you're taking other work. I was just taking other work just to like make money, just to have enough money. Two, um, I was married, still am, <laughs> uh, to the same person, and so <laughs> my wife likes to say that she should be considered an angel investor because you know there were times where like her income was was key. Yes, that that always helps to have have an angel around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, a combination of just sort of pushing through and having fortunate circumstances, or and or life partner. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. So, um it sounds like you had some early early success and early points of um where you you kind of realized that this could be a real thing and a real career path. What was what was kind of one of your first big wins aside from that first client? When did you realize like, "Oh, I can really make a living out of this and this is really working?" Oh, good question. I mean, I think that came it it took a while to do that. It took actually a long time to do that. I would say, um, you know, I, so there's a couple ways to answer that question. So one quick way is I would say somewhere around the second client, I quickly realized that there was a, a shift from project-based to recurring when I did the A-B testing. So that was one hmm. key thing. Um, the other is in that respect, conversation started happening where instead of me saying $200 for a couple A-B tests, it was you know, $1,000, and then $2,000. And I was like, okay, like, now this is legitimate. Like, if I just get a couple of $2,000 clients, you know, you can quickly be making, so four $2,000 clients is 8,000. Eight times 12 is 96. So you're approaching yeah. or knocking on the door basically at 100K. And, and, and at that time, I had minimal expenses. I was doing, you know, a lot of the work myself. And so, yes, I had a coder or whatever. But still, that's like, yeah. it's like an income at that point. Um and, and depending on what your previous work was and what part of the country you're in, it could be actually a really good income. So, so that was one. Go ahead. Yeah. And yeah. So, how how big were you able to to grow at the time your freelance business? How many of those two thousand dollar a month clients were you able to get where you could sustain the work yourself? 
I would say after about four, so work myself is a little bit, um, you know, different. I never really coded, right? Because I'm not really mm-hmm. a coder. So from very early on, like client two, or maybe even client one, I figured out not because of my time issues, but because of my expertise, okay, I need to hire a developer. And so I found one on Upwork yep. and worked with him for a bajillion years. Um, <laughs> and so, but it was at around like five-ish clients, I would say, um, where we were running, you know, three to five A-B tests a month and I'm doing strategy, I'm managing. At that point, then there was like a, some designers that would actually do the actual graphic, the, the UI front-end design, then developers. It, it, it happened slowly, right? So it was like mm-hmm. at each step, there was something that makes you think, well, I can't do this part anymore. And then, and then it hired a contract and I can't do that part anymore. And I actually think that is an important lesson in hindsight that it's not about, okay, like I'm going to hire a full-time person and then get rid of a chunk of my money, right? Like in today's economy, you don't really need to do that. I understand that there's a bunch of asterisks for a bunch of different industries for certain instances you, you, you do need to hire full-time. I get that. But for a variety and so many sort of entrepreneurs I've talked to in the years since. I mean, we're, we're talking about, I'm, I'm scaling back like seven, eight years to the beginning of the story to now. Um, all yeah. the conversations I've had, just the vast majority are in situations where you can slowly start hiring contract. Um, the risk is way lower. Everything just happens gradually. So there was multiple points. Then this key, another key inflection point was, okay, I have now delegated and I have contractors doing all the stuff that I'm not the best at. Like I'm not really a designer, right? I was introduced to Sketch by a designer and to Figma by a designer. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely not a coder. I know just enough to break something and that's it. So <laughs> all that aside, my expertise was in the strategy of the design. And at some point, even that, and that, was, that took years um, on the growth rock side, at some point, even that was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. If I'm going to scale this, I need to hire someone. And that's when I finally made my first hire. I mean, that was last year, maybe a little bit over a year this mm. time. So we're talking like probably six, seven years in from just the very, very beginning, or at least five years from when we were, when I started working with, um, with Backlinko for, yeah. for AB testing. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few things in there I want to comment on. So first is 100% totally agree with you where going contractors, first is the way to go and figuring out what you're not good at and hiring the contractor to support you in that is a total game changer. Uh, We neglected it for so long and we thought we were the best product people around and that we were the only ones that could talk with the clients and figure out requirements. And this year we, we found um, someone on Upwork where we were like, you know, let's try this. Let's, let's actually give them some autonomy here and to try to see if we can replace this and he's crushing it and it's been literally the biggest game changer for our business um just because yeah. we, we made that little leap you know yeah one thing i would say I, this hiring thing has been top of mind for me for maybe two three years and so i thought about it a lot so uh unless you want to take the conversation in a different direction i have uh, i can sort of summarize a lot of my my takeaways and frustrations here yeah, let's do it. So my next question was going to be, and I think it's it's related to this, is how did you how did you position yourself? Because you were a freelancer agency, 
how are you thinking about your business and how are you pitching your business? Was it, hey, I'm um, I'm a freelancer here doing A/B testing with this support group um, around me, or hey, I'm this full fledged agency and I'm going to get your work done? Yeah, that's actually that's a really good question. So let me finish the hiring thing and then we'll mm-hmm. come to this because that that is also a great question and its whole own topic. Cool. So um, the hiring thing. Here, there's multiple things that frustrated me along the way, and, and and I have I don't think I've fully solved this, but I'm way um, in in a better spot than I was uh, a few years ago. So one, I heard a lot of people say stories like yours, um, and that didn't work for me at Growth Rock, um, and and there's mm-hmm. a lot of subtlety in this, so I want to dig into it because I've listened to podcasts like this and been like, what? Oh, so you hired someone? They're like you said, and I'm just gonna like pick on this for a second. Because because yep. it, it was something that didn't work for me. It, you said like you know we hired someone we took a risk we didn't think we could and he's crushing it. So that that may happen. For me, that did not happen. <laughs> I hired people and they didn't they did the opposite of crush it. They were just awful. And so at some point I thought, what is wrong? Like and 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 even if we had talked months ago, I mean this this is sort of hot off the press. It's the thinking. It has to be done so. Advice that has worked for other people may not work for you. That doesn't mean that it's not going to. It just may not have worked yet. And there's a lot of subtlety. So yeah. this happened. In st- so so my advice after all of this is one, first, hire for the things that are easiest to replace. So don't stress if you're like, well, I don't know how to hire someone to be client facing. I want to be client facing. That's okay. Be client facing, right? So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And that's still like, a, a total game changer. In my case, I said I did it because I can't code or I'm not really a designer. You may be thinking, well, I am or I want to. So asterisk, side story, which would be a different conversation I'll skip over. There's actually nothing wrong with growing your income as a high-end consultant where you do everything yourself. That is a completely viable route. And there's people that make a ton of money doing that. But assume you want to scale, you're listening to a podcast on scaling freelancing for crying out loud, right? So um, <laughs> in that in that respect, you know, first do the things that like you can think of somebody else can do. Ideally start with things where there are existing people who self-label themselves as doing it. Don't just like make up catch-all rules. So I have multiple notes on the notes app on my phone or computer that are like, you know, I would have a hypothesis of, I think I need it to hire someone for this thing. And I would start to write down all the things that happened over the next couple of weeks that I think that person could have done. And I'd take a look at that list after a while and be like, is that reasonable? Like, should I hire for this? And sometimes I would think, no, like I can just do all of this. It's not a big deal. I wasn't able to write that much down. Or yes, like I definitely need this, right? And so th- that that was key. Hire for the things that are not sort of core client facing because mm-hmm. you can just do that last, right? Then you start to have a system and they take a lot off your plate. Second, it has never worked for me to hire a catch-all assistant. I don't know, like all these people have the first thing they're like, I need an assistant, a virtual assistant. I've tried it. I've spent like thousands of dollars a month on this. I've tried fancy hands. I've tried this thing. I've tried individual people. I've tried all these things. And I just, I'm not, maybe I don't like jet set enough. I don't have travel to book. I, I can book my own calendar events. And by far specialized people, like I need a designer. Or another specialized person that I, I thought of later that's not as obvious designer coder was QA. We'd build these A-B tests and I was the one like stress testing it and making sure it's right and all. And at that point, it started to take so long for me to do that. I was spending so many hours. I thought, wait a minute. 
there is literally a profession where people literally just QA things. And so we, we, we had someone sort of do that after a while. That's one. The client-facing thing took a long time for me in one business. The other one, maybe it was a little bit shorter, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, no, in both businesses. Because there's so much there. They have to, for an agency type thing, that kind of operation, you have to like sell your business. You In each call, you have to like resell yourself in a way, yeah. right? You have to convince them that, you're doing good work, that it's working, et cetera, especially for marketing stuff where you're every month you're expected to get good stats, good stats, good stats. Um, and so that took a long time. And, and there's a lot I'm skipping over and I can dig in more later. But yeah, my advice would be don't worry if you're just like, I can't just hire someone to do it. Like I've also had hiring failures and I've taken it back. That's okay too. I tried to hire an SDR to just like get deals and do sales stuff. And it was terrible. He sent the most kooky emails. You didn't understand the business. And I just thought it was like, this is a waste of money. It doesn't mean an SDR won't work. You may have to go through multiple people. Yeah. You may have to train them for a long time. But it's okay to sort of experiment. But I would say start with things that you know can win. You need graphic design, hire a graphic designer. You need this, hire that person. You need someone to do WordPress stuff, hire a WordPress stuff. That's like stuff where there's an existing group of people that are expertise in it. You know, The first hire to just be like, just run my agency yeah. or like go talk to clients, go sell deals. That You should be doing that for a while, right? Yeah, okay. 100%. Yeah, and wh- that's kind of the, the mistake we made too at first is we, we thought we had to, to do that in order to get ourselves out of the equation. We thought we had to hire that like that catch-all and yeah. it's just not the case. We ha- Yeah, we, we had to, to realize w- what is it that we were going to do and like what we were going to do and what we're good at is closing these deals, sourcing the deals and getting these really interesting projects for the team, right? Um, and so it took us a long time to, to get the project manager and the product manager. It took us a long time to get there. Yeah. And I think when I would listen to these podcasts, what would frustrate me is like, okay, so like, what do I do in this situation? So, and people would just speak in generalities, which I'm kind of doing. So let me just say explicitly what I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Okay. So step one, find all of the non-client facing things that you can hire for and prioritize by stuff where there's an existing title of people that like know what they're doing in that, okay? Once you've exhausted all of that and you're like, I can't do client-facing, then even then, what worked for me, so again, your mileage may vary, what worked for me is instead of hiring sort of quote-unquote project manager, et cetera, in your case it works because there's an existing like group of people, you can disagree with me, that are project managers for sort of development groups and agencies. That's like a thing that existed. Yep. But if you think that 100%. what you're doing is very amorphous, it's like individualized consulting, how do I outsource? What worked for me is finding the closest shoulder role that you can train all the intangibles for, but they have the core skill set. So for A-B testing, it was hiring a UX expert. That is the employee at Growth Rock, Dan, who is our conversion strategist. He wasn't necessarily had run his own A-B testing client thing. He had done A-B tests for his e-commerce thing. And that's probably another tip I'll get to in a second. But I had to think very carefully and try multiple routes to be like, ah, there's this realm of of like job expertise called UX. Now, if I had someone, that is the hardest part because that's deciding what should we change on this site that could increase conversion rate? That, That means that person understands how to think of users, how to do user research, how design works, how interaction works. They can kind of manage that process. They've worked with developers. That's the closest. It's not exactly, that's the closest. So I'm going to hire for that. I'm going to train the rest. And it's still, it's, it's still continuing with my philosophy of hire for roles that exist, that people self-label as. 
And if you can't find it exactly, find the closest thing that, to, to what's the hardest part of your role is. And that was the hardest part of my role is like knowing that expertise. Then that second thing there, the last step that worked for me is in that final role, this is going to sound like, a, like kind of a paradox or kind of hypocritical what I just said is you can label like UX designer. What I did say is with conversion optimization agency. So try to be really rigorous in that hire and say, I'm looking for UX designers. You can apply if you just have that, but the, pri the applications that I'm going to prioritize are people that have this exact experience. At that point, be ruthless. Mm -hmm. So yes, you, you yep. put it into a bucket to where I'm going to cast this wide net of all these people with a, a job description that already kind of exists and they self-label, but I'm also going to be then have the arrows and say, if you do, have done this exact thing, that's who I want. And that's who Dan was. He had run, not in an agency side, so maybe it was slightly off of exact, but he had run A-B tests for an e-commerce company as the in-house director of UX, right? And so he, I didn't have to explain hmm. to him. So I had all these interviews, and a lot of them were just great UX designers with these beautiful portfolios. Um, but I had to explain like A-B testing, et cetera. Dan was like, oh, I ran them. Here, let me talk to you about a test. And I was like, oh, I'm talking to a colleague, basically, <laughs> right? Yep. And that was game-changing because that sort of shortcuts the whole process. Okay, I hope that was prescriptive enough to be sort of exact so yeah. people can be like, I'm going to do this. Love it. That was the the uh, the best podcast version of a list blog post that I've ever heard. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Um, so and then you had asked about branding and positioning. I can yeah, go back to let's that switch to that. Um, yeah, because that's a big thing with a lot of freelancers as they grow is you, there's this this tendency to want to brand yourself as an agency, even if it's just you. Um, so do, do you have a perspective on that? Yeah. So I, I actually think that is something that I also stressed about. And in hindsight is just not something to stress about at all. <laughs> um, I grew, we grew really large. I mean, really, we're not even that big, but we, we grew large for, for, from my humble expectations. Um, just in both situations, being labeled as like Davish in one and Davish and Benji in the other one um, without sort of the agency um, idea. I think there is, a, there is what, what is that thought is fear-based and I've experienced it and sometimes I still do where you basically have imposter syndrome and you think that if it's labeled as you, you're hiring, like they're hiring your name, that somehow mm. that's going to be perceived as low end, blah, blah, blah. In some industries, maybe that's the case if there's just like no precedent for that. But in a lot of industries, like hiring a famous consultant is totally fine. So I would ask myself this question. In my industry, are there highly sought after, like famous, whatever, individual experts in that field? So all marketing stuff, absolutely yes. There are still existing people you can hire that cost a ton of money, which means people are very comfortable hiring expertise, which means you can just have it be yourself for a while, right? There's no need for that, right? Um, in development, design, that's all true. Like you can hire solo mm -hmm. people with a lot of money. So the idea that you have to expand beyond is just, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like recently I thought about this. We hired an interior designer, my wife and I, for some stuff in our house. And we thought we were hiring her. Now she had a name, a design company name, but a lot of the Yelp reviews and all were about her. And she was part of it, but she also had a staff. And she just explained, she said like, we, we in the first call. And I said, who's we? And she said, yeah. oh, I have like these people working with me. And it was totally fine. And so the only downside of that is at some point in your scaling journey, you're going to want them to interface with your team. So that happened in Growth Rock maybe a year ago when Dan came on where 
the legacy clients that had known me for a long time, they would still, when an issue came up, they would email me directly. They would Slack me directly. And so at yep. some point you're like, okay, it's Dan. And that, that I, I just, again, I don't think it's a huge deal to stress with. You just introduce them. And then as they start working together more, like they'll go to them directly. And, and sometimes if you need to have yeah. a conversation and say, you know, they're going to be running a lot more of the day-to-day or immediate questions go here, whatever, set those processes. I stress so much about what are people going to think if I say that. And it just across both businesses, it's just not a big deal. Like it, <laughs> yeah. they, they're just, they'll deal with whoever the hell they have to deal with. As long as you get them good results, it doesn't matter. Totally. I'm, I'm laughing right now because we're literally going through that where there's this, we have some legacy clients that they're used to dealing with Thomas and I. Um, and it's just the point where yeah. we, we just can't, we just don't have the bandwidth for it. And so we had to do that. So we introduced them to our team members and it's all, it's all fine. It's all great. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're really self-conscious about it, a hack that worked for me was I just created some formal process said, Hey, like on these things, you know, um, he's more at the, his desk or she's more in this time zone or blah, blah, blah. First, tag them, right? We use like Trello for project management or Slack or email to tag them. Can you also CC? And then the other thing that's easy was, can you also always CC? So, and you say like, so that you can get a faster response time because they'll, they'll be around or like we have overlapping schedules. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually it takes over. For sure. Um, cool. We, we're coming up on time here. So I want to get into some, some other, other topics. So um, one that I want to hit here is, can you give us a sense of how much you guys have scaled? You started off with just a few of you. How big are you now, and how are you measuring that? Yeah, so um, in growing, so in Growth Rock, um, the AB testing uh, uh, agency, we are at four clients. So Growth Rock has gone through an up and down where we almost kind of um, shut it down and then decided not to, and that was the whole like difficulty and sort of getting someone to interface with clients, and that has that maxes out. Um, Dan, the employee, the conversion strategist. And so there's a question there of, do I hire, do we hire more and like replicate that sort of unit of one person managing for um, accounts over and over again. Um, but that runs now largely without um, my interface. So if people are like, how much can I get myself out of it? Like the answer is you can get yourself basically completely out of it. So that thing runs. So I do sales and marketing, which marketing is trivial. So my other thing is a content marketing agency. So I know how to do content marketing. So the leads come and, and sales, I do the sales calls, but at four now there's no need for more of that. Um, and it's just a one weekly one-on-one with him and the rest he takes care of. They interface directly with him. All those previous problems I talked about basically don't exist anymore. And, um, the other one we're at 10 clients growing convert and growing, um, you know, pretty steadily, pretty rapidly. So that one has is where sort of I'm focusing a lot of my time, the content marketing agency. Um, and we have a lot more people are involved in getting that executed because you have to write blog posts and do all kinds of promotion, et cetera. Um, and, and, and that we have built a process slowly over two years. So, you know, you, you take the learnings from one and you shortcut it for the other. So the other one took like six, seven years. And now in two years, we're at sort of 10 clients and, and, and growing steadily and have a process to onboard new clients, have a content strategist. We fly out in that case to the, to the client site. Um, and mm. the content strategist takes over. There's like all these systems in place there. Got it. Cool. And how are you looking at the future here for both companies? Are, are you pretty okay with where they're at and you're not trying to necessarily grow them more or are you trying to grow as fast as possible? Yeah, that's a great question. We felt a lot of self-consciousness on that question. Um, mm-hmm. And what helped us a lot was um, the recent book um, by the Basecamp guys. 
uh, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Yep. Is the book, um, by Jason Freed and, and DHH, um, the, the founders of Basecamp. And they had this thing where they basically say, we are unapologetically a privately owned self-funded business that is just, it's a business. It grows at a slow but steady clip. We have no intention of selling. This is not to flip. This is not to do whatever. This, we're not going to take any investors. We're just an owned business that's running, that has happy customers. And they were like, we don't care that everyone thinks that that is weird because there's this startup culture where you have to sell stuff or even the yeah. PE, private equity culture, where you have to sell stuff. What's your game plan? What's your exit strategies? Like, we don't, this is it. And Benji and I of Grow and Convert really resonated with that because we feel really passionate about our agency. We think it's awesome. We think it has processes and content marketing that no one else is doing. It's innovative. And we just love it. And so we said, we don't really want to sell this, at least right now. I mean, may we in the future? Sure. I mean, everything changes, right? Um, but we're okay with the idea of we're running a profitable business that um, gives people great job opportunities. Uh, they love it. The clients are loving the work. And, and, and that's it. And, and we're enjoying it. So we're growing. But as per sort of the Basecamp guys' philosophies also, we don't have any timeline for growth. We don't have any investors to answer to. We don't have any... Um, like even goals, there's no number that I'm like withholding from you, like a growth number, yep. right? Um, so, and grow and convert the, the revenue and all is public. So we charge it's, it's on our side and our work with us page 8,000 a client. We have okay. only a couple on eight legacy. So like when we cross, you know, 10, 11 clients, that will be over 80,000, which will be a million ARR annual revenue yep. sort of run rate. So that is like, it will be a cool milestone simply because we use, you know, factors of 10 numbers right yes. and that's literally the only reason it's a milestone <laughs> like why is that a milestone and not like nine hundred and thirty thousand? right it's, it's completely arbitrary um yep. but so that'll be cool like we'll probably celebrate that but we don't have any like other number to get to it's it's a matter of just like being really proud of our work having the clients love us and having the um, team really love what they're doing and feel like they're getting cool job opportunities that make for a yeah. good life yeah, that's hilarious you say that because <laughs> that's pretty much exactly what our milestone, it, it, like, we haven't really said it, but, like, we might hit the million this year, right? And it's just, like, it's it's just a number, you know? It's, like, we didn't we don't celebrate anything else just because it's a factor of 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we've been we've been joking about that. That'll be cool, but it, it is completely arbitrary and, and growth yeah. beyond that is not necessary. So, we've just, we just love that. Um, philosophy and that lifestyle of yep. just like we want to just have a really rewarding work experience we want our team to have a rewarding work experience and we want our clients to feel like they're just working with an awesome agency yeah that's awesome i'm glad you said that too because that's it's a, an important philosophy that I've, I've heard more and more um kind of in the on the internet in this in this world here um and there's a good book you probably know is by paul jarvis company of one uh, that kind of summarizes this this whole philosophy of it's it's okay to to stay small yeah. and there's no there's no reason to put that pressure on yourself. Um, so, but if you haven't read that, it's great. Um, you should. Yeah, I'll add an asterisk to it. In in what I'm saying, you don't really have to stay small. Like Basecamp has 30 to 50 yeah. employees. I think I've read <laughs> most of Company of One or all of it. Um, and and in that case, it is he does make exceptions and say like. It doesn't company one doesn't necessarily mean one person, et cetera, from what I remember in the book. But nonetheless, that yep. I thought it was like 
this was about how to be a solo consultant or something like that, or a solo company owner. And I was like, well, I don't really want to be solo. Um, but this idea was just yeah. that you don't need to answer to people who are demanding you have an exit strategy. You don't need to exit. The only way for that to be true, by the way, is to get good at the delegation and processes. Because the, I think the reason most agency or, or, or consultants or freelancers want to exit is because every day sucks because it's just crazy and they're stressed out. <laughs> but if you can solve that problem, then yep. you don't have that firing need to like exit. You can focus on just being really good. For sure. All right, Davish, let's get into the final freelancer fave five questions here. Um, so the first one, you hinted at it a little bit, but in terms of revenue, what's the best month you've ever had? Yeah, I mean, I would say revenue would be this last month. So 70000 Awesome. That's exciting. Uh, number two, what is a favorite book or two that's affected the way you run your business? Uh, I already mentioned one. That is a must read. Um, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Let me see if I can think of a second one. I'll give you another one on the same tone. So you mentioned Paul Jarvis's Company of One. Um, another one is Small Giants. Uh, I forget who wrote Small Giants, but it's well known um, or it got good press. Um, and that profiles a variety of companies that are much bigger than one person. Some of them are very big, but it profiles ones that chose to, at different breakpoints, not scale further. So it wasn't prescriptive of like, stop at this level. Each of the examples, they stop at a different level, they stop for different reasons, but it was all examples of companies that didn't go, and for them, small was still like multi-million dollar businesses, um, but that eventually didn't go public and become these sort of super corporate enterprise entities, and they stayed small and allowed them to do really cool things and make a difference in their industry. Cool. I'll look that one up. Uh, number three, what are some of your favorite software tools uh, that you pay for that you use to grow your business? Oh, our favorite ones we don't pay for. Is that cheating? <laughs> <laughs> no, that counts. <laughs> so so Trello, um, that, so I'm going to focus on this, so this question. As you can tell, I'm long-winded. Hopefully, it's been helpful. No uh, Trello is our project management tool of choice. I love it in a lot of respects because it's very visual, et cetera. I have, maybe as a result of the book, probably as a result of the book, have had this side crush on trying Basecamp, although that's been vetoed because we're so ingrained in Trello. It's been hard vetoed <laughs> by the team and, and, and Benji because it basically allows a company, and especially uh, if you have clients, so agency side people, to avoid kind of the Slack craziness. I'm a very like, yep. don't interrupt me while I'm working type person. My co-founder is very expert and he wants to like talk and have conversations a lot. So um, Basecamp would be paid and it has like chat in it and everything is sort of, you, you, can, you can, the one downside of Trello is you can't do messages that are not client facing. So every time mm -hmm. we want to do private discussions internally, we then resort back to Slack or email. So then for a given project or task, we have multiple conversations. Um, we have multiple conversations happening in the same place. And that's the annoying part that Basecamp would solve. Yep. Yeah, we use Basecamp for all of our clients um, and all of our projects. Oh, nice. So I, I, I highly recommend it too. I think it's because I use Basecamp too. And I was like, I don't know where to put anything. That's the one side <laughs> of the downside of Basecamp. It's like, like, where do I put this? I have this random thing. Whereas Trello, you always just kind of create a card. Um, yeah. and, but now Basecamp 3, I think, from what I've seen, is a lot more organized. It's cool. Yeah, that's good. Uh, number four, what freelancer or micro business owner are you currently following? So um, Brian Harris, the coach that I mentioned, runs... Um, growth tools. I do follow his um, his business, um, 
uh, a bunch. So he's he's done really interesting things that have morphed. He started off selling courses um, yeah. under the the name Video Fruit. Had nothing to do with video, uh, but he started selling courses around growing your email list. And he made a great choice. There's this whole like online course community, some of which is very cool and legitimate. Mm. Some of a lot of which can be really scammy. He was he was really cool and legitimate, but he cared so much about the students and the people he was helping actually being able to grow their business and see results that he said, um, most people that sell online courses, and we have a course at Grow and Convert too for people that can't hire us as content marketing agents, they can learn content marketing. Um, and most people who buy a course don't take it. Like we literally can see the stats inside of how far they get and like 18% or 20% complete it. And you know, like 50% don't even touch it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I bought courses that I haven't touched. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Interesting. Um, and he said, this is not good enough. Like, like what am I going to do long term? Like, yes, I can make money on this. And it's kind of easy in the sense that you sell the course and you don't have to answer to it. Um, but he said, in contrast, his coaching clients get huge wins because he holds them accountable. So he thought carefully about how do I scale coaching? So now he has other coaches doing it. He, he got himself out of it, which is really interesting and, and something that most people would not be able to do. So he's super smart. Um, and he's scaling that. He's finding ways to do high-end sort of services on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I follow sort of what he's doing. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll look him up and link him in here. Uh, number five, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would that be? Um, well, so I'm going to answer two ways. From a personal level, like don't stress. Like most problems, especially business-y type problems, you'll eventually solve or you're just like avoid them and get around them. Like there's no sense in like just the emotional toll that like this, these kind of journeys take where you just start like having just like self doubt and questioning like your value, like everyone kind of, most people go through that. And in hindsight, it's not necessary. And I know it's easy to say in this position, like, Oh, like now you have this revenue and everything like that's true. Right. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't answer this if it was just everything had failed, but there's other aspects which I failed grandly and it's okay. Right. So like growth rock on the other hand, has not hit 80 K um, and, and it has some limitations and it's okay. Like it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give a bunch of answers to this. Number two, keep testing multiple things. Growth Rock started because I did something that I didn't focus. I tested A-B testing when I had no business doing it, and it blew, ballooned to this thing. From Growth Rock, I started Grow and Convert with my co-founder, Benji, when I should have mm-hmm. focused on Growth Rock, but I wanted to try this, this side project with him, et cetera. So the side projects have been a massive everything. And even if you go all the way back, what business do I have in, to be in marketing? I should be like having some engineering job, right? A PhD in materials engineering. Like people are like, what are you doing? Right. And so I had no business while I'm doing my PhD thesis, <laughs> having these little rinky dink hundred dollar like PowerPoint design clients. I had no business doing that. Every advice says don't do it. Um, it the exact opposite has worked for me, which is dabble. Like always have that hedge and that lets you follow advice number one too, which is um, you don't have to stress. You don't have, I don't have to stress that growth rock was about to shut down because I had grow and convert because I, I, I risked it. And like I, I dabbled with the side projects. Like you have time to do some side projects, have one in the fire. Even now as both mm-hmm. are being delegated, you could tell this to, to Benji, my co-founder as well in the podcast, but I'm dabbling with additional businesses on the side to where my, my wife always says, like, you're never really going to retire because retiring for you would be starting five businesses um, because, you know, there's an itch. There's sort of a love of it there, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's helpful. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, side projects are super important. And Oh, I have and one that, last one. Can yeah, I, yeah, I know that it. I'm like way longer than no, anyone, but it. I have one last one, which is two things matter then when you're starting your business. The, uh, only two things to focus about, and I just recently tweeted about this, is number one, 
product market fit. And I know for free, used to scaling freelancing for freelancers, like service businesses, you're like product market fit. Like, of course people want my copywriting service, graphic design services, coding services, but still like the way you position within that matters. Like, will they hire you? Right. And stick with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Is your service and your quality of service good enough? That should be number one. And then number two, right after that is then what is the channel that I can find to repeatedly find these customers that I have proven in step one, like what I'm doing, find value in it and continue to pay me. Those are the only two things to worry about for years. Yep. For years. And I and the reason I tweeted about it is I've seen like blog posts of people like freelancing is hard you have to worry about all this thing, the legal stuff and invoicing. Like invoicing, like what do you what invoicing is the easiest step? Like <laughs> just send them a PDF with a number on it for crying out loud. Send them an email. Yeah. Right? You could text them and be like, PayPal me this money. Like invoicing is to the last concern. Like pay three percent to PayPal. I don't care. Like three percent is bigger, is it's not a big deal. You're making zero percent for deals you don't get. So the only thing you should worry about is is my service good enough for people to pay me and is positioned so that they understand the value and pay me? And then after that's done, do I have a repeatable channel to consistently find those people? Like all other problems will diminish if you can do those two things. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Um, so I'm not even going to add anything to that because that was, that was perfect. <laughs> um, awesome. Davish, where can listeners find out more about you? So the two sites you can go to, growandconvert.com, growthrock.com. Uh, growthrock.co sorry I um, am apparently cannot afford growthrock.com I don't know why I don't have that and uh, <laughs> but if you want to just chat with me about any of this stuff I'm happy to chat about it and answer any questions um, on Twitter at uh, Davish Canal it's D-E-V-E-S-H Canal is K-H-A-N-A-L at Davish Canal on Twitter awesome this was really really good conversation Uh, I'm glad we dove deep into some of those topics because I don't often get to do that. So this is great. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem.